0: Neil Gorsuch's nomination may prove as transformative for the Senate as the Supreme Court. There's a deep partisan divide today as a a Senate committee takes up the nomination. Democrat Dianne Feinstein of California decried Gorsuch's strict adherence to the Constitution's words, an approach known as originalism.
1: If we were to dogmatically adhere to originalist interpretations, then we would still have segregated schools and bans on interracial marriage. Women wouldn't be entitled to equal protection under the law. And government discrimination against LGBT Americans would be permitted.
0: Republicans like Chuck Grassley of Iowa called Gorsuch a judge who simply applies the law as it
2: is written. He has the highest level of professional qualifications, including integrity, competence, and
0: temperament. That actually was Orrin Hatch, not Chuck Grassley. Uh, The panel is poised to send the nomination to the full Senate, where a showdown could permanently change the rules for Supreme Court nominations. It, It increasingly appears that, to get Gorsuch confirmed, Republicans may have to abolish the right to filibuster Supreme Court nominees. With us to talk about the Gorsuch nomination and confirmation fight, Jim Copeland, Director of Legal Policy at the Manhattan Institute, and Michelle Jawando, Vice President of Legal Progress at the Center for American Progress, and she has been at today's uh, uh, Senate panel, Senate Judiciary Committee proceeding. Jim, let's start with you. Just walk us through what you think is likely to happen this week with the Gorsuch nomination.
2: Well, clearly he's going to get reported out of committee, and the committee's likely to do this on partisan lines, uh, strict partisan lines. Um, That's not super surprising, given that the Judiciary Committee tends to be a bit more polarized and partisan in recent years than than the entire body. What's not clear is whether... there will be sufficient a sufficient number of Democrat senators to launch a filibuster and try to prevent a vote uh, on uh, Judge Gorsuch's confirmation. Um, it's not clear to me. I think it's going to be pretty close as to whether they have the the requisite 41 votes to do that. Um, if they do do that, I fully expect that the Republican majority will will eliminate uh, the filibuster for the Supreme Court uh, the same way it was done for other presidential appointments, including lower court judges under uh, Democratic leadership when Barack Obama was president. And, and I fully expect that by the end of the week, uh, Judge Gorsuch will be Justice Gorsuch.
0: Michelle... It's one thing for the Democrats to say we oppose a nominee, and you know you can argue about whether or not the nominee is in the mainstream, etc. Doing a filibuster, particularly with the consequences that may flow that Jim just outlined, is is kind of a slightly bigger deal, at least. What is the Democrats' rationale for setting for going for a filibuster in this case? You know, I think
1: it's always important, and thanks so much for having me back on. I, you know, it's. It's important to also put context of where we are. Um, you know, many have lamented uh, Democrats saying that we want a standard 60-vote threshold for the confirmation, to move to the confirmation of Judge Neil Gorsuch. But if you look at history, and it passed this prologue, the confirmations and moving forward with Justice Elena Kagan, Justice uh, Sonia Sotomayor, Justice... Um, Uh, Alito, as well as Chief Justice uh, Roberts, were all able to cross the 60-vote threshold. So we are now at a place where leadership, Senate Republican leadership, are saying that the Supreme Court vote, the highest vote, um, the the highest court in the land, should be subjected to a lower-majority-only rule. And I think it's unfortunate, because that is At a time when we've had immense partisan divides, being able to say that all members should be able to find some consensus with whoever this nominee, and it's something that we've seen time immemorial, um, not being able to do that will permanently break the Senate. And that is on the leadership, Mitch McConnell and others, for doing that, no one else.
0: Just want to be clear, Michelle, and I don't think you're saying otherwise, but Sam Alito got 58 votes to be confirmed, but he did get... Uh, more than 60 votes to to bring the nomination up to the the Senate floor. Correct. Um,
1: Sam Alito crossed the cloture threshold of 60-plus. Well, he got 58 votes on the final vote. But many, if you understand kind of Senate rules, the threshold to go to vote for the final vote moving forward is crossing a 60-vote threshold. And the last four Supreme Court nominees were able to meet that.
0: Jim, do you uh, lament that we're moving to a world or maybe moving to a world where it, it, it doesn't take the, the 60 votes, where it only is going to take 51 votes to get somebody on the Supreme Court?
2: I actually do not. Uh, I was on record. During the last three administrations, when these filibusters of judicial nominees uh, were being discussed, I've I've been on record consistently, uh, (laughs) unlike most of these politicians who flip, depending on who's in charge. But I've been on record consistently saying that uh, the founders, the framers of the Constitution knew how to create supermajority requirements. They did so. In certain cases, they did not do so with the advice and consent power uh, for presidential nominees and so I, I think the filibuster rule, whatever its utility may or may not be in the ordinary legislative process, which is a slightly different uh, sort of conception, uh, shouldn 't be the rule where a, a minority party uh, can, can hold up uh, the confirmation uh, from the majority and and as you noted before, Sam Alito did get fifty eight votes. Justice Thomas got 52 votes. Uh, this sort of historical look at, at uh, a 60-vote requirement is an ahistorical look. Uh, it's just not the case. The only the only case. Uh, where we did see a filibuster was a bipartisan filibuster of, of a Fortas' proposed Jim, Jim, nomination to me ask you to hold that.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Law. We're talking about the Neil Gorsuch nomination and the prospect that it might provoke a huge fight on the Senate floor. We just got word Bloomberg News now reporting Democrats uh, appear to have enough votes to filibuster the Neil Gorsuch nomination. Democratic Senator Chris Coons just said that uh, during a, a committee hearing that he will uh, vote to block a vote on Neil Gorsuch. We're talking with Michelle Jawando of the Center for American Progress and Jim Copeland of the Manhattan Institute. Uh, Michelle, there's a school of thought, um, a number of Democrats have have articulated this, that if the filibuster is eliminated, what we will get from both sides are more extreme Supreme Court nominees. Uh, Do you uh, subscribe to that thinking and if, if so, isn't that something we should all be worried about?
1: Well, I I think it's unfortunate, and I did want to share about the 41 um, no vote or requirement for closure there. Um, One of the things that I think is important to add contextually to this conversation is that in 2013, when the Democrats changed the rules on lower court nominations, um, they did so when they faced a far greater scale of obstruction. So by the time they did that, they faced nearly 500 filibusters and spent years trying to negotiate ways of working with the Senate Republicans. if you contrast that moment, so from 2009 to 2013, almost 500 filibusters, to this moment, the very first filibuster of Donald Trump, one of Donald Trump's nominees, you immediately see, see Senate leadership moving to change Senate rules. I think many people would say that that's a disproportionate response, and I think To the extent that it will change the tenor of how we work with people in the Senate, as someone who spent many years in the Senate, it changes who can come to the table, who can be considered someone you can work with and compromise. And I think it's unfortunate. And I think Majority Leader McConnell should really evaluate whether it's worth changing the rules or whether or not they should just change the nominee.
0: Jim, lurking over this conversation, at least for... Democrats is the fact that um, the Republican majority Senate led by Mitch McConnell last year refused to even give a hearing, much less a vote to um, Merrick Garland, who had been nominated by President Obama. What's the Republican response to that point when we start talking about whether a filibuster is appropriate?
2: Uh, well, I don't know what the Republican response per se would be, but but uh, obviously the situations are different, and and they're different because the Republicans had the majority then, just as they have the majority now. Uh, it's actually it's been extremely rare in modern American history where a president has had. Um, been a bit of one party and the senate's been of the other party and then you've had a sort of nominee to go forward and often when you've had that sort of situation uh... you saw situation you you saw the senate uh... being accommodated for instance when when dwight eisenhower put forward uh... liberal democrat william brennan uh... to the court uh, in that sort of situation so it, but but it's an extremely rare sort of situation particularly in an election year and i think from the republicans' perspective they knew that if the shoe had been on the other foot the democrats would have done exactly that and they knew that because joe biden said it the, the, the then the vice president when he'd been chairman of the judiciary committee they knew it because chuck schumer said it so they knew very well the democrats would have have done the same sort of maneuver, and they said, well, you know, listen, we're the majority, and uh, we're not going to go forward with this nomination in the election year. It was a risky move. It was a risky move because had Hillary Clinton won the election, uh, she would have had much more leverage uh, and been able to put forward someone potentially, probably if she'd won the election, she also would have pulled the Senate with her, and in that sort of situation could have put forward someone uh, that the Democratic base, the left-wing progressive Democratic base, would have been happier with. So, um, But, but I, mean, I think that's really what was going on in that sort of situation. And, and to put an emphasize here, again, were the shoe on the other foot, there's no question what the Democrats would be doing a week before the election, Tim Kaine, the vice presidential nominee, uh, now back in the Senate, uh, said exactly that, that they were going to use the nuclear oxygen to get rid of the, the filibuster to get G- a... G- Jim,
0: let me let Michelle respond to that. Point. We only have about 30, 30 seconds left. Michelle, it isn't, isn't true. Democrats, would you know, both sides have been fighting on this. Would, would, would they have done the same thing?
1: No. And I think it's important to also mention this. 293 days. That's was the length of time that once the announcement from President Barack Obama was made of Merrick Garland, that he didn't, he wasn't even able to meet with all of the senators, much less receive a hearing. And even if you decided that you were going to ultimately vote against him, to not move forward, to have a hearing or a vote was unprecedented, and it was one of the low points of Senate history. I think we should remember that if the Republicans eliminate the 60-vote requirement for Gorsuch, I think in Fortunately, it's only a matter of time before you do away altogether with the filibuster rule. And I think that's the okay. low point for the Senate altogether.
0: Michelle Jawando of the Center for American Progress, Jim Copeland of the Manhattan Institute. Thank you for joining us on Bloomberg Law.